Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step -step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. So years ago, I kind of had this crazy idea to start doing what I call GDIY profiles. And there for a while, I was enjoying doing them. And I felt that it, it kind of gave a nice perspective of just kind of getting your everyday average dog handler and trainer uh, involved and, and kind of give their experience, make it make it relatable ultimately. And, and uh, after a while, I actually did away with them for a little bit. And then... Uh, a few listeners started reaching out after not hearing them for a while, and and uh, one in particular, my buddy Ben, uh, he he called me and and asked where the profiles were. And uh, when I kind of told him that I, I wasn't really getting any feedback or a response from him, he he kind of. Uh, made his case for the profiles. And so I brought them back and uh, I'm glad I did because now fast forward a few years, they're some of the favorite episodes of people. I get told all the time that they really appreciate the GDLI profiles, mainly because the relatability factor. Uh, you know, you get people coming on, they talk about not not just the favorite episodes or, or discussions that we've had on this podcast overall, but one of the questions that I ask all of them is to give me an example of something they screwed up. And uh, it, it goes to show that, or, or hopefully it provides examples that we all screw up. We all make errors and, and, and nobody is above screwing up and, and uh, learning from those mistakes. And um, I've been asked a few times what you know, some of the mistakes that I've made. And I tell all of them, you know, well, first I have to make mistakes before I can talk about it. But uh, in all seriousness, you know, I've made the same mistakes everybody else has, has made. I mean, we've all made the same ones in some different way, shape or form. But there was one uh, I just I can't shake right now because it's still kind of fresh and new. But a few weeks ago, uh, I was at, actually out hunting and I made a mistake. And I, and I thought that this would be a, a good one to shed some light on and, t and discuss and kind of tell you guys what happened. But uh, the story goes is, is what happened when I was in Georgia. I was Bob White quail hunting in, down in Georgia you know, beautiful, what, what you would expect, the pine savannas and, and, and just the undergrowth and, and hunting these little palmetto thickets. It, it was gorgeous. It was perfect setting. I was excited to do it. Uh, Quinn, my, my young setter, she hasn't, she hadn't had a quality Bob White contact yet. And, uh, so me and my buddy Randall, we go out there, he has his Poodle Pointer Creek out. I put Quinn down and then I also put Rachel down and, and Quinn I haven't really run with other dogs up until this point and so Rachel's never even been on the ground with Quinn either uh, so really it's I've only run Quinn solo but well we go out there we're hunting they're doing everything that they're supposed to do and then uh, the collar goes off I get the notification Quinn on point 140 150 yards away something like that and so Randall and I start start heading that way well, uh, we finally get up to her. We see her on point. She, she held the entire time, did exactly what you wanted her to do, did perfect. Uh, as we're coming up, I see Rachel kind of 
cast around her. She should have seen her. I can't say for sure that she did see Quinn. Uh, but, you know, normally I don't have this problem or concern with Rachel coming up on a back. And so I, I watch her kind of do a wide circle, a wide, wide loop, and she comes back around. Well, I'm getting ready because we're still approaching Quinn on point. And I'm like, all right, well, if Rachel comes back around, this is a perfect opportunity for me to get a correction on Rachel uh, just using the e-collar to cue her to stop. I, I, I don't have to verbalize it. I don't have to yell it. And I can just make sure that she doesn't screw up this contact and this sequence for Quinn, who found the birds. And so the entire thing that I'm doing with Rachel, she should know better, but I'm going to reinforce it and, and make sure that she does stop and, and back and honor Quinn. And she starts getting a little closer. And so I hit the e-collar button. And unfortunately, I hit the wrong button. And instead of correcting Rachel, Quinn got a surprise touch on the collar, which caused her to jump, which then caused the birds to flush, which then caused rush shots from myself and Randall, of which we did not hit them, and so we did not get the birds. And uh, there's a lot to kind of unpack on this. Uh, Randall, you know, afterwards he was kind of laughing at me just because I was beating beating myself up over it, but a uh, few considerations on, on all of this. Number one is the uh, e-collar pressure. I don't have the e-collar set up that high. I really have it set up just high enough to catch their attention. I rarely ever use it when actually out hunting. I use the Garmin Alpha 200, I think it is. And up until recently, I've always had the handheld up uh, tethered up on my chest area. So I like I'm familiar with the buttons when it's up uh, up high on my strap. I always have the right button is Rachel, R for Rachel, easy to remember. The left button is either Quinn or Lucy, whoever's on the ground. Uh, I've never really hunted with all three of them on the ground, so I don't really have that worry. Uh, the middle button is always my screen lock on and off so that I'm not accidentally hitting buttons or changing the view or something when I don't realize it. So that being said, I only say that because I recently moved it to where it is now hanging down and attached my little D-loop on my waist belt for my Fonari system. So the buttons were upside down, different configuration. So what I thought was hit, I was hitting the right button for Rachel, I hit the left button for Quinn. And it wasn't so much that the pressure was too high for her that caused her to jump and, and yelp slightly to scare the birds. Really, it goes back to the training with her to where she's never received a correction from me with the birds on the ground, with the system. And, and the method that I primarily used with her is the West method. One of the key elements of that method is you don't correct the dog until the birds are in the air. So, like, she has never felt... Uh, an e-collar stimulus with birds on ground while uh, while she's on point. I don't even give her a woe or any of that stuff. Everything is done after the flush. It's associated with the birds flying. And so obviously she wasn't prepared for it. She uh, jumped at it. Birds flew off. We didn't get it. And, uh, you know, I, I say all this, you know, somebody's like, well, why... 
you know, that sucks. You know, it, it happens. But, you know, why I tell the story is uh, a few reasons on this is, number one, I want everybody to realize that, like, we all are human. We all make mistakes. Uh, this was 100% my error. There's a reason why I hit the wrong button, but ultimately it, it boils down to just an excuse. Uh, I should have just double-checked and, and did a sanity check and made sure I had my finger on the correct button. I had plenty of time, uh, but I just assumed that I, I was doing it correctly. Uh, the, the second one of which, the, the second reason why I share this with everybody is to kind of highlight the fact of, yeah, the, the sequence messed up. We didn't get the wind. She didn't get the bird in her mouth, you know, uh, you know, mission failure in, in a lot of ways, but what she did after that, she was surprised. She was shocked a little bit and, uh, the birds got away. She did not care at all. She did. She literally just went off hunting, looking for more birds. And, and this is the main point I want to say, because I get it. I get quite a few, uh, buddies and, and listeners that'll text or email me and, uh, they will put so much emphasis on one, one instance, good or bad. You know, if, so, if they mess up something on a training session, then they think they ruin their dog for life or they go out and they have the, the world's best rep of something they've been working for. And they think that their dog is solid on that and they never have to work it again. So it kind of goes both ways. Uh, but I just wanted to highlight the fact that the dog's genetics, the drive that we've built into them, you're not going to, you know, don't make it a bigger deal than what you have to. I, I can say with a hundred percent certainty that Quinn five, five seconds after that instance, she had forgotten about it. She did not care at all. Meanwhile, here I am a few weeks removed from it and it's still in the back of my mind and I still, it's ultimately, you know, feel a certain level of guilt, but ultimately it comes from like, I do this for the dogs. She did her job. She did everything right. And unfortunately I screwed up and she did not get the reward because of my actions. And so, uh, that's why I feel bad, but I can't, you know, some people will actually take that guilt or the emotions and project that onto their dogs and uh, beat themselves up unnecessarily for it. And and it's obviously still with me, but uh, I'm trying to, you know, obviously just put it back behind me. It, let's move forward. It's not affecting the dog. But uh, it's, it's just, it doesn't mean that it doesn't stick with you, right? You know, your dogs do perfect and, uh, you know, the, the mission fails because of your actions and uh, so I just wanted to share that with everybody is, is over the years, everybody says that that's their favorite part about the profiles uh, specifically is learning that they aren't the only ones that make these mistakes. And I guarantee you there's somebody listening to this right now that needed to hear somebody else made that mistake to where you accidentally hit the wrong button or at the wrong time or too high of intensity, too low of intensity, whatever. Um you know, on, on my Garmin alpha system, you know, I, I have the, the e-collar settings at, I think it's a too low. I mean, it, it really is just enough to catch their attention because again, I very rarely ever use it while hunting. Uh, but it is what it is. I just thought that that was a good story to share with you guys. And hopefully, you know, it helps somebody along the way, but, uh, you know, it, whether it's good or bad, if it's a one-off instance, 
If it's a if it's just a, a one off thing, don't don't get too caught up into it either way. Uh, my buddy Garrett talking to you specifically. Don't worry too much about one uh, one little off uh, training rep or anything. I know that you probably needed to hear that. Um, but yeah, so mo- moving on, this week's episode was the uh, the training mindset episode, and and this was something that. I've been wanting to cover in some way, shape, or form for a while now because what I've noticed over the years is uh, more often than not how a training session goes or how I feel after the training session wraps up is more uh, reflective of my mindset going into it, how focused I am going into it, how uh, disciplined and, and just anticipatory and, and how much, uh, essentially how the training session goes to plan. Right. Uh, yesterday I had one of those training sessions that makes you feel like hanging out, uh, a shingle opening up for business, calling yourself a pro trainer. Uh, all three dogs just crushed it. Didn't have a single bad rep. Uh, my mind was a hundred percent laser focused in everything timing. It was just, just one of those. I wish that I had a video camera on because they don't come around too often where all three dogs and myself, I like, I can, I can, I'm my own worst critic. I, I will figure out something to hammer and, uh, and address in my own, uh, performance or whatever you want to call it. And, uh, it was just one of those days that I, I left the training field just, on cloud nine, there was nothing I felt like could have been improved on my part. I don't think that the girls could have done anything better. And it kind of got me thinking, like, I wonder if because the girls did that, they had that perfect game, if you will, because I had the correct mindset. I, I went out there and I had the right focus and I had the right plan. And I wonder how many times that we leave the field thinking that the dog struggled or, or, they missed something or they just didn't perform up to the standard that we were hoping for. I wonder how much of that is because maybe we're not keyed in correctly, uh, on the mental side of things. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just kind of reflective of some of the things that Mark and I discuss in this episode. And, and I know I got a few messages from some people that really enjoyed the, the talk and the reminder to where, you know, just something as simple as going into it and reminding yourself to talk less, you know, uh, the verbal aspect of, of that, as we said in the episode, is probably a, one of the most common errors or mistakes that people make when they go out training is they just talk too much. We're verbal creatures. Dogs aren't. Uh, yada, yada, yada. You'll actually hear a little bit about that on next week's episode as well. I'm excited for you guys to, to hear uh, uh, next week's episode. But uh, yeah, it, it was just a, a really good reminder. I wanted to touch on this and, and just kind of remind everybody that you can have the best setup. You can have the best plan. You can have the, the correct dog for the correct situation. But if you aren't into it uh, mentally and you aren't focused and, and you're not approaching it the correct, correct way, it may not matter. Uh, at, in the end, you may not teach what you you're hoping to teach or, or the dog comes away with the lesson that you're hoping it comes away with. So uh, take that for for whatever it's worth. Um, with all that being said, I think uh, I, I have received quite a bit more feedback and uh, questions uh, in the past week or so than normal. So everybody a, a few weeks ago, must have, you know, you guys heard that my request is, is 
bring it to me, be engaged with the show, be engaged with the process, and and you folks are listening, so so I appreciate it. Uh, I did get two pieces of listener feedback uh, in regards to a conversation that me, myself and my buddy Randall had last week uh, discussing some of the pheasant stocking programs. So I'm going to go ahead and hop into, into that right now. Uh, the first of which is from Connor Callahan from uh, Instagram. He wrote in, I just finished up listening to the Hanging Outro episode. The last 20 minutes was interesting. I live in southeast Nebraska, and we have a pheasant stocking program. They stocked approximately 16,500 across the state in two seasons, one for youth season and one right before Thanksgiving. Last year, they didn't have the birds for it, and I saw maybe 10 hunters all year. This year, they stocked them, and I saw four to five trucks every single weekend. It definitely artificially inflated the number of hunters. And where I'd find good wild quail numbers last year, I couldn't find any birds because the whole covey got shot up. So I don't mind stocking for the youth season, but that's where I draw the line. So a few considerations in that, and one of which kind of goes into the into the next one, which we'll talk about here in a second. But uh, that is one element uh, of what I was saying on on these whole stock programs or specific areas and WMAs that have these programs. It is going to focus that hunting pressure into one area. So while the main thing might be the pheasant stocking program that brings everybody in there, the uh, I, I don't want to call it bycatch, but the other opportunities by extension that brings people there, somebody wants to go shoot pheasant, but they happen upon some quail, they're going to shoot the quail. So if you're, if you're putting a spotlight on a specific area for one species, that doesn't mean that it's not going to have a negative impact on other species within that area. And one thing I would like to uh, say in all fairness is, you know, Connor, this is anecdotal uh, evidence. This is your experience. So, you know, it, it might be that the birds are down from last year. Uh, could be that they just moved on or weather conditions. There's a lot of uh, other context to this that, that, you know, you could talk about or, or bring into the discussion. But, you know, it's uh, it's hard to argue with, you know, if, if you're finding birds this year, all of a sudden something brings out a whole lot more hunting pressure the following year and all of a sudden they're gone. You know, uh, might be something to consider, but, uh, remember correlation doesn't always equal causation. So just keep that in mind, but it is a, a, a consideration for this. Uh, I'll save the next point after I read the, the next comment. Uh, Paul Hallberg on Instagram. Once again, he wrote in, Hey Nick, I really enjoyed listening to your interview with Nate Kennedy. I had the pleasure to meet him for the first time at the New York RGS benefit hunt. I didn't realize this was his first dog and was most was mostly a deer hunter. I also enjoyed both yours and Randall Likens' comments on your subsequent podcast about the listener in Pennsylvania that mentioned the loss of wild pheasants from our state from about the mid-1990s. The Pennsylvania Game Commission and Select Pheasant Forever chapters worked together to establish a wild pheasant recovery program from 08 to 2019, which included trap and transporting wild pheasants from South Dakota and Montana to four areas in the state to restore habitat and a reproducing population. One out of the four still has some wild pheasants. These were all closed to hunting for years, but more recently opened for youth hunts by a lottery system. The Pennsylvania Board of Game Commissioners gave preliminary approval to the Game Commission's executive director to decide whether the WPRAs would be open for rooster-only hunting. I would prefer they keep it closed to allow bird dog owners to train their dogs on wild pheasants. So, 
the the common thread between both of those pieces of feedback from both Connor and Paul, neither one of them are saying do away with the program at all. Both of them are kind of in in for it with a few concessions. You know, Connor says he's okay keeping it for the youth season. Paul says that he's on board with it as long as it remains like a dog training only thing. Uh, he didn't really specify anything on the youth, but I think it goes to show while while two different perspectives within kind of the same region or area they both kind of come at it from the same way to where they're not saying do away with all of it together but you know let's let's keep it to where you know it's a little bit more valuable than just giving some you know the hunting population in general another option to go shoot birds be it for the youth or be it for being able to develop your dogs on, on uh on wild birds like that, you know, I think both of those are, are pretty good uh, quality considerations and uh, something to keep your mind uh, or, or keep your eye out for. You know, if a state is considering or asking for input in their their pheasant stocking program or maybe they're considering doing a new program and they, they're looking for some uh, some feedback or something, you know, think about that i think that it's it doesn't have to be black and white in all of these programs to where it's you know you're you're either for or against it both of these guys are kind of for it if for the right reasons and and i think more or less i think the uh upland community overall reflects that a little bit more to where i don't you don't hear too many uh guys that are just that you know, painted in their corners on a lot of these topics is, is there's a lot more consideration to it. So uh, I thought that was interesting and thought that was uh, worth noting. So I appreciate both of their feedback on, on that. And uh, yeah, so if you, if you have anything to add on, on the pheasant stocking topic, uh, this is, you know, two or three episodes in a row, we've, we've kind of touched on it in some regard. So if there's some more to consideration, then by all means, um, I did receive a, a few feedbacks uh, on this week's episode on the mental side of things. Uh, my buddy Scott Kinane, he, he wrote in on uh, YouTube with, with a, a long feedback session that I thought was is worth uh, reading, though. So uh, Scott, he wrote in again on YouTube, uh, wow, this conversation generated a ton of thoughts. I'll include a couple here. First, why is it I do not hear many, if any, trainers talk about the importance of building a strong relationship with your dogs? It feels as all training boils down to picking a method, sticking with that method, be consistent, and put your dog on birds. I've been an educator, a coach, and a dog trainer, and if I can build a strong relationship with the ones I'm trying to teach, everything seems to go better. Second, everyone I come across that truly appears to be having a great time in the field, regardless of birds, whether shooting, has a great relationship with their dogs. When we pull into a spot and they're getting the pup ready to go, the tail is wagging, the eyes are fixed on the trainer, there is some small talk around having fun, the dog is not trying to jump off the tailgate, it stands there just wanting to go out and have fun, but most of all the pup wants to please the owner. Third, that desire to please, in my opinion, makes all your training days and all your days of field so much more enjoyable. When you see that look in their eyes that says, look what I did, and that tail is wagging and they can't wait to come and show you what they got, now that makes for great days. Last, thank you both for having this conversation. The mindset that you have with your pup, that your pup has with you, makes life so much more enjoyable. I can't tell you how many times that the pups I have just stopped during a hunt 
just to take a breath, scratch an ear or two, have a little snack, talk about what a good pup they are before we move on again. I will say, and this is not sexist, just an observation, that women appear to have the strongest bonds and relationships with their pups. No yelling, no slumped shoulders on a busted bird. Instead, I hear the singing to the dog while they are hunting, the singing that the dog handlers of the South wrote and bragged about. So take some time, get in the right mindset, and have fun whether training or hunting. And uh, a lot of that, I mean, there's there's really nothing to add too much to that. Uh, all good points. It, just trying to, you know, what I referenced in the in the episode was trying to keep the soul, keep it fun. Remember what we're out there after. Trying to build that rela- relationship with our dogs. But one thing I did notice is his reference to women and and their seemingly more, um, I don't know, shared relationship with the dogs and and the stronger relationship and bond and and the examples he gave why you know there's a couple common themes and 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 considerations from this episode and prior uh that he reflects in this and i don't know if scott really meant to do this or not but when he talks about the no yelling no slump shoulders on a busted bird them singing to the dog keeping the uh the energy up or whatever a lot of that is what we were discussing this episode is, you know, the body language, the dogs pick up on your energy. They're going to pick up on your, the tone of which when you're using, you know, when you're verbalizing anything, uh, the singing is an interesting piece, especially, you know, his reference to, to the Southern dog trainers of, of yesteryear. And, uh, it's interesting living down in the South. I've, I've been told by plenty of guys, uh, you know, sing to your dog. And if you ask why they, more or less can't even tell you why. It's just they were taught to sing to the dogs. Uh, if they do give you a reason more often than it's not that, you know, it helps the dog keep track of you or you can push them out or rein them in or have them turn left or have them turn right. Uh, to me, you know, that's that that's kind of a traditional thing and, and some people love it. Uh, I prefer quiet in the field. Uh, singing to your dog or not, it's your dog. Do do what you want. But more or less, what what really kind of stood out to me in that comment was him noticing the body language. And you got, I have to ask, is that maybe why they seem to have a stronger relationship or bond with their dogs? Because their body language allows that to, to kind of take hold? Uh, something to consider. Be interested in y'all's thoughts on that. Have you ever shot a bird that just keeps on flying and you're standing there saying, I swear I hit that bird? Well, good news. Maybe it might not be you, but rather your shotgun. Go check out UplandGunCompany.com and construct the perfect shotgun that is not only built to your exact physical specifications, but your preferred looks as well. To some people, a shotgun not only has to perform, but look good while doing it also. Upland Gun Company has made this process super convenient and surprisingly affordable when you consider all of the completely customizable features. Get your shotgun order submitted today so you're standing there with your dog saying fetch rather than standing there still saying, I couldn't have missed that bird. Yeah, so that, that kind of does it on the uh, the feedback portion. Of course, I have I did receive uh, more questions on, on certain topics, uh, one of which is uh, Joe Lucas wrote this in via email, and I think this might be the only, only question that I'm going to touch on here today, uh, but he wrote in uh, a few weeks ago, Hey, GDIY, big fan. I've been skipping through episodes on drives, and the podcast has given me some great things to think about as I train my first Upland dog, a seven-month-old Deutsch Drawtar. 
Is there an episode or episodes you'd recommend that covers bells? I've been running a bell in training. I have a GPS for safety, but like to use the bell for primary position awareness. But today was our first day chasing wild quail, and I couldn't stop imagining those little guys just running away from the sound in the South Texas brush. I understand a beeper or GPS may give you more range, so I'm a little more curious about the debate on Bell's impacts on the birds. Thanks for any episode pointers. I love what you're doing. Uh... This was actually my first season on bells. Uh, this was something that I, for one, wasn't really keen on using bells for the longest, mainly because, you know, back to the previous uh, comment with Scott and the singing, uh, I, I just, I personally appreciate silence in the woods. I, I do. I don't, I don't want to go out. I don't want to hear somebody hacking their dog nonstop. I don't, I I prefer not to listen to a bell or a beeper collar going off all the time, especially if it's not on point mode. Uh, so it took me a while to really kind of warm up to the the potential aspect of using a bell. And uh, but I did add it to to my program this year and how I hunted. Uh, but it's it's only going to be used, and I have only used it so far in the uh, rough grouse woods where the cover's thick. I need that kind of instantaneous feedback that I can't see with my eyes. I need to know if my dog's relocating. And, uh, so I, I found that, you know, this was through experience of hunting with other grouse hunters that are a little bit more successful or have more experience. And, uh, and a couple buddies, you know, my buddy, uh, Nick Larson at the bird shot podcast, you know, he kind of, he really kind of started keying me in on the bell, uh, conversation because, if you don't really, if you're not interested in bells, you don't really look into them. You don't realize that there's all kinds of different bells out there that have all kinds of different tones and pitches. Some are louder, some are softer, some are higher pitch, some are lower pitch. Uh, and so th there are some really nice bells that aren't just a ringing, you know, church bell going through the woods the whole day, which is what I was kind of opposed to. Uh, so he kind of turned me on to these, uh, Warner Genuine uh, Swiss Bells. Uh, what I got is a size 10 medium, but you know, I got, I got two of them essentially. I've got one on the collar and then, uh, they come with these little leather straps. And this is something, again, if you don't use bells or you haven't been around them, you, you don't really know, you don't know what you don't know. And, uh, the leather straps that came on the bells, I originally just put the collar through the leather strap. And what I found was it caused the bell to dangle really too low. And so when the dogs would run, unless the bell uh, was up behind their heads, their legs would come up and their wrist or forearm, whatever you want to call it, would hit the bell and it would leave, you know, a, a, a little scab or scar or, or scratch or whatever. It would break the skin. And uh, then you're dealing with an injury. And, uh, you know, you don't want your dogs getting all scratched up and tore up. Uh, I mean, they're already, you know, they're already hammering the brush enough as it is. We don't need to be adding our own little uh, troubles to it. So uh, I, I really wasn't aware of what was doing it initially. And then I, I can't remember who it was, but they told me to cut the leather off the bell and just put, attach the bell directly to the collar without that extra couple inches on the leather adding to it so it doesn't hang down and that fixed the problem and so instead of the leather you know it's attached right there to the collar itself and it's and it's i mean it doesn't stick out any further than the actual uh collar 
piece. So that was a that was a good uh, learning curve or consideration for me. Uh, as far as bells and and uh, beeper collars causing birds to run or push away, this is this is a, a debate or consideration that's not leaving the upland space anytime soon. Uh, it, it's something that since I've been, been in this world, you know, you got people that just sigh on, they swear up and down that the birds, it doesn't, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't spook them. It doesn't scare them. doesn't cause them to run. Then you have some other people that swear up and down, uh, that, that if, if they're the birds hear uh, one chink of a bell that they're taken off. Uh, I don't, I don't really know if there's any really good way to, decide on that or not. You kind of have to make up your mind on that, how much stock you want to put into it. Where I personally land on it is if, even if it does have some level of causing uneasiness on the birds, I don't think that it is enough to discount the overall benefit of having a bell on in the rough grouse woods. And again, that instantaneous feedback of what that dog is doing, if it's moving, if it's relocating, whatever, to me, that is much more valuable than on the opposite side of the spectrum uh, of it being detrimental to causing birds to run. Uh, And the reason why I feel like I can say that is I've seen enough dogs to where you get them on enough birds and they get enough experience they will learn to work running birds and they can relocate. So even if a bird takes off running, yeah, I mean, yeah, you can say that the bird will go run and pitch out somewhere and you never see it again, possibly, but you, you also have no idea if that's what really happened. And uh, so to me, like trusting that my dog is going to establish point and then when I get up to it and I have, and I enter the, the game, so to speak, and I can concentrate on just waiting on that flush, just looking for the bird, because I know if the dog starts moving or relocating, that bell is going to tell me how it's moving. It's kind of like you're working in a team a lot better than if I'm constantly trying to look back at the dog, look for the bird, just because everything is silent. And, and that's how I hunted for years. And, uh, you know, both provided success, you know, I was successful with a bell and without a bell. And I can say where I stand now, uh, I prefer the bell in the woods. Now, uh, I'm not a fan of the bell or beeper collars out on the prairie. I don't really necessarily feel like it's necessary, especially if you have a, have a, uh, tracking collar on, uh, you know, you're in the prairie. Most of the time it's flat. I mean, I know there's some rolling hills and you can lose sight of them, but if you're on large flat, you know, grasslands out in South Dakota and you can see three, 400 yards and your dog's only ranging, you know, a hundred yards. I don't, I don't really think that you need a bell or a beeper, but again, each their own. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and say it's going to do a disservice to you, but, uh, that's just, that's kind of how I operate is if, if I'm out there on the prairie, I'm just taking the bell off. And then that way I don't have to, I don't have to hear it. I don't think that it provides me any kind of great benefit out there because, you know, you can, you can see everything so well already. Uh, another thing that I found interesting is all my dogs, except for Rachel took to the bell. Again, I, this was the first year that I've used a bell. I introduced it last, uh, training season 
thinking that, okay, you know, let's, let's get them used to it on, on training situations. And, and Rachel seemed to do okay with the bell. But what was interesting is when we actually got up into the Northwoods and it was time to actually hunt, she refused to hunt with the bell. And, uh, it took me a couple outings of her just not running like her normal self, to start figuring out like what was throwing her off. I mean, she just, she wasn't hunt, she wasn't searching. She wasn't ranging. She just wasn't hunting as hard. Uh, and I couldn't figure out why. And so finally, after, after a few outings, three or four, I, I started asking like, all right, well, what is different this, this outing? What is different on this trip than in trips in the past? And, uh, the only thing I could come up with was the bell. So I just, just to, check it off the the list you know i wasn't even really sold that that was it but you know like all right well it takes five seconds to figure this out so i called her over took the collar off slid the bell off put the collar back on and boom she's out hunting like she normally does so she did not respond well to the bell and you got you know could could i make it could could i force her to use it i mean yeah i'm sure i could especially with the time in the off season but you know you you got to kind of ask yourself sometimes is it really worth the hassle you know this is something that she's been hunting 9 10 seasons however old she is at this point she's hunted 9 or 10 years without a bell and then all of a sudden it's like here's a bell uh you know she just she just didn't want to use it and uh i don't really feel strong enough either way to really kind of force her to to have to use that so uh but lucy you know handful of seasons under her belt bell didn't phase her quinn she's a freaking you know bird drunk crazed lunatic when it comes to hunting uh, i i think you could you know put a, a freaking atomic bomb on her and and uh that noise isn't even gonna phase her from trying to find other birds but uh you know rachel that that is a consideration to where if you're if you're considering using a bell and or a beeper collar and your dog's gone years without using it make sure that you uh do it in the training field first get them used to it and uh just see how they respond again she responded better in the training field than she did on actual rough grouse with it so uh just something to keep in mind another consideration as far as if we're talking the bells and beeper collars i kind of just naturally threw in the beeper collars um, because it's kind of the same concept is uh what the the beeper collars again if it's not on point mode i don't even i don't, I don't want to hear it i don't want to listen to a forklift uh backing up in the woods all day long and if you're a, if you're a, the fan of beeper collars i'm not you know again it's it's your hunt hunt however you you want to hunt uh, the best way I've personally seen beeper collars utilized uh, was in tandem with the bell. So obviously, you know, instead of having a or a beeper collar going off the entire day in the woods like some forklift, uh, you know, just turn it to either point only or the best way I've seen it used is they turned it off altogether uh, to where they could just use the locate button and. Uh, the, I'm specifically talking about Tim Perkins, who I did an episode with years ago, uh, Wisconsin taxidermist, great pointers. It was a lot of fun linking up and seeing him in the rough grouse woods, but he would run a bell so you could keep track of the dog while it's running through the woods. But obviously when a dog establishes point, that bell goes quiet. Well, you need something else. Well, instead of just having the, the beeper just going off the whole time while the dog's on point, he utilized it to where he chose when and where 
to hit the locate button. And so, you know, he would go a little ways, hit the locate, and then he would keep going. So he was kind of trying to meet in the middle on his concern whether the noise uh, pushes birds away or not. And so I thought that was a really interesting uh, way to use it. And, and uh, you know, this is a way that, you know, he, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember. I don't think he had a tracking collar on at that point. I think he just had the beeper collar and the bell. So a little more old school, uh, but really effective. And I mean, he had it down pat to where he got the benefits of the bell and keeping track. And he had a really high pitched bell for his pointers that, that were ranging a little further. And so he could keep track of where it was at and then locate it and, and uh, go from there. Another consideration with the beeper collar is the tone. Do you want to use the beep or do you want to use the, you know, screech owl or hawk or, or whatever? You again, this kind of goes to you how much stock you put into it. I personally don't think that a bird is going to sit there and hold any better just because your beeper collar on the dog that's pointing at the bird is is screaming like a hawk rather than, uh, you know, just a beep. I think that some of these beeper collars have uh, quail tones uh, as well. I don't think, you know, a rough grouse is going to hold any better because it hears a bobwhite quail that it has no idea what it is up in the north woods uh, than, than the bell or, or beeper or whatever. So again, each their own, you figure out, you know, if it provides, this is where I land on a lot of stuff. I think most importantly, you have to hunt with your setup confidently. So you have to have the confidence in, in your setup. So whether I agree with it or disagree with it doesn't matter. Ultimately, you're the one going out in the woods with your dog. So if it provides you comfort, if you think that it gives you just, I mean, a 10% increase in likelihood of a successful outing or hunt, uh, that confidence of mind is is much more uh, important than my opinion on this show, right? So anything that I say right now, just kind of take it with a grain of salt. I'm kind of giving you my personal opinions on it. But if you're listening to this and you're like, you swear that that screech owl or screech hawk on, on a beeper collar gives you some sort of you know, tangible benefit, then roll with it. Your, your peace of mind is much more important than my opinion. And, uh, everybody's had success with this stuff over the years and decades or else they wouldn't be doing that. So, uh, I know that that was kind of a long answer for something like on bells, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it's definitely not going away. The debate on whether bells or beepers are a benefit or, or, um, takes away your, the likelihood of you finding success. But it's also kind of kind of those fun topics that we like to debate ad, ad nauseum and, and discuss till the end of time. But uh, again, you know, whatever, whatever floats your boat, whatever gets you excited and kind of gives you that confidence, uh, that, that's where I stand on the bells at least. Um, so yeah, you know, I have a lot more questions and feedback that we'll get to in future weeks. This weekend, I'm, I'm actually got a as soon as I get off here, I'm going to load this up for, uh, YouTube and, and, uh, the podcast, uh, release and everything. And then I got to pack all this junk up and uh, I'm hitting the road. I got to go, uh, to South Carolina. I'm going to be judging the St. Hubert's trial that bird dog society is putting on, uh, excited to do that. It's going to be a lot of fun meeting a lot of new people and, and getting to share, 
share a weekend with everybody that loves to do what I, I love to do with the dogs and everything. So it's going to be exciting stuff. And uh, last night we we did a Zoom room, Patreon Zoom room. I think that was it was probably the best Zoom room we've had over the years through Patreon. A lot of participants, a lot of back and forth conversation. It was perfect. I, I had a blast, and and it really makes me want to do do some more of them. I, I can't say how often we're going to do it. I don't think it's going to be an every month type of thing. Uh, probably more realistically every month kind of considering right now uh sometime like early mid-march do a follow-up one to kind of kick off the training season quote unquote i know some people hate when you distinguish the difference between training season and hunting season uh but yeah so sometime in march if you want to uh make sure that you catch that in that announcement then uh consider signing up for patreon patreon.com forward slash gundog yourself uh all patrons do get a few more discount codes some some opportunities to win something like an onyx hunt uh elite membership giveaway uh some bonus episodes here and there but uh we did just get hats in and they do get a discount for hats so uh you know we have uh, six or seven different hats on the website now so if you want some uh, uh, gdiy hat for training season or get you that nice blaze orange hat for hunting season uh, go check it out uh just yesterday i got a call and finalized some plans uh, i've been asked by a few listeners over the past few weeks if i'm going to be attending pheasant fest or not and i kept telling them you know it, there for a while it looked like it was then it looked like it wasn't well uh, right now it i am going to be there uh i am going to be at the yukonuba booth i'm going to be hanging out with uh, the yukonuba folks and we're going to be doing some podcasting on site and stuff like that so if you're going to be at pheasant fest and by by all means stop at uh at the Yukonuba booth, I'll have the booth number in, in future episodes uh, to kind of let you guys know. But, you know, maybe stop by, do a quick uh, video profile or, uh, you know, tell your favorite hunting story or something like that. We'll kind of figure out what that looks like. But I uh, just wanted to throw that out there. Thanks again, as always, for hitting download and play. If you don't mind, hit that share button, shoot that link or this episode or any of the episodes that you prefer and, and, and got something out of. Share it with a friend. And uh, again, we'll uh, we'll talk soon and uh, I'll be back out with another episode here in a few days. Appreciate it, guys. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high grade lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again and year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukonuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.